welcome those who are worshiping with us online today, whether you are uh, watching right now live or you are watching this service a little bit later on uh, in the recorded format. I want to say God bless you. There is a purpose for which you can, you can hear me right now. And I want to pray that God will establish that purpose in your life in Jesus' name. Again, for the benefit of everyone, we have a lot of our programs and messages on a lot of um, media platform. On social media, we're on Facebook. We do have a page on Instagram, not posting messages per se, but snippets of our messages and events. That is all, both of them are LifeGate Outreach Center on Facebook. It's individual words on um, Instagram is one word, LifeGate Outreach Center. And we also have podcasts, very importantly. Many people in uh, some of the countries abroad, especially in Nigeria, have said that they, they like the podcast because it's easier to download. It's not video, it's audio. So let's uh, share. Feel free to introduce our friends to that link. Again, it's on both iOS and Android platforms where LiveGate Outreach Center. And it is a blessing for us to be on those platforms. Many, many platforms there. I checked at the last time, I think I counted over 11. Uh, you know, Spotify, all of them just mentioned their names were there. And it is a privilege for us. So let us do everything we can to share those things and uh, continue to propagate the word of God. Amen. Um, we are on the fifth session of our series on celebrating Christ, the Son of the Living God. Our emphasis in this period is to build up to Christmas uh, the understanding of Christ, not just as one who was born in a manger as we tend to celebrate all over the world, which is true. We celebrate that because that birth signifies the beginning of the Son of Man, the journey of the Son of Man here on earth, which is powerful. But much more for us to understand that our accepting him as Lord and Savior makes him, like we started in the first week of the sessions, the author and the finisher of our faith. It makes him the way maker for us and the bread of life, the one who makes a way. Remember that story in John chapter 2. It was as if there was no way. Wine was finishing, nothing to do, and here was the way maker turning the situation around. We need to know him that way because it changes our uh, dependency on logic and those things that may look like naturally constraining. And we understand that when he's in our life, he is able to interject and do things that are beyond the ordinary. I am a benefactor and a living testimony of many things I can say to you were definitely the supernatural hand of God, the way maker, Jesus Christ being our way maker. The bread of life he is, the Bible says he said, I am the bread of life. When you eat of me, you will never hunger again. And there is a way that needs to be understood as well, that we are people who benefit from the bread that he gives to us, the bread of life which takes away that hunger in man. That doesn't mean that when you have him, you don't feel hungry physically. But it simply means that that yearning inside every human being that is longing for what to worship, that is longing for who to worship. She told that woman by the, he told that woman by the well, that woman said, our fathers worshipped at the mountains and we are still waiting for a Messiah. We are still expecting. He said, I am here already. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so we who have him know that we are already fulfilled in our spiritual journey. He is the light of the world and the light of life. He is the one who uh, comes to the world and makes sure that we are not overcome by the darkness that is currently in our lives and in our world, but that we are a people that he guides by his light of life. So, so many things there. And last week we looked at him as the good shepherd and the life giver. 
And so I want to encourage you. I've given a quick recap. Uh, I think that's the fastest you can recap all those things we've done in five weeks. I want to encourage you to please be uh, going back to those messages. They are in nine parts. They are in eight parts. And I want to encourage you that as we go through them, this is the fifth session, uh, you continue to be refreshed. We also share something every first of the month. Um, some of you have never clicked on that thing. It's shared at, in our church WhatsApp group and it's also shared on our Facebook pages and it's also always shared on my personal page in Facebook, which is uh, when, we, when we welcome people into the new month, we also share a summary to the link of the messages of the previous month. So usually four messages or five messages in one place on a platform called Buzzsprout. That's another thing you can easily share, especially if you feel the series is something that can bless you. There are audio messages for the last month. So we have a lot of resources, and I want to encourage you to avail yourself of them. This is our work, to keep teaching the Word of God and to keep encouraging others and everyone to gain understanding of His Word. Hallelujah. So today we are looking at the fifth session. As I said, it is titled, Our Pathway, Jesus Christ, Our Pathway, and the True Vine our pathway and the true vine. And again, this covers John chapter 13, John chapter 14, and John chapter 15, which now takes us way past halfway into the series uh, as in terms of the chapters of the book of John. Like I've tried to format most of the mess, all the messages we've had so far, I'll contextualize this by bringing out six truths. This does not in any way mean these are the only six things we can find in these three chapters. As a matter of fact, we can find six truths in every chapter. But I just want us to have like an overview and expect us that during the week we read these chapters again, just to gain a firmer background into everything and also to expand our understanding. So I want to quickly start with the first truth I'm picking today, which is from the book of John chapter 13. We have read, Pastor Moses led us very powerfully earlier on to read our Bible's reading, which was from John 13, 1 to 17. But we're just going to take a few verses from chapter verse 12 of that chapter and see him as our perfect example of servanthood. Say, Christ is our perfect example of servanthood. You see, we need to understand what servanthood is so that we can benefit from what God has instituted when Christ laid down this example for us. In John chapter 13 from verse 12, you know the story very well. Jesus, it was about Passover and Jesus gathered his disciples and uh, the Bible says he came to, and he, he gathered himself, took off his robes, gathered himself with a towel and he began to wash their feet. And you know that popular aspect of the story where Peter said he's not going to let him wash his feet. And he said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you will have no part with me. And Peter, in his typical manner, said, if that's the case, wash my feet, wash my head, wash everything. And Christ said, it's not about washing that way. It is about you understanding the spiritual connotation of what I am doing. So in verse 12, he says, so when he had washed their feet taking his garments and sat down. This is John 13, 12. Thank you. He said to them, do you know what I have done to you? Do you have an idea of what I have done to you? Verse 13. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and that's fine. That's so I am. He said, verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. Let's read verse 15 together. Verse 15, everybody, let's go. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And then in verse 16, he said, Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Verse 17 says, if you know, let's read verse 17 to them. Let's read verse 17 together. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He didn't say blessed are you as you have known them. He said blessed are you if you do them. This is why every Sunday we pray in this place. Before I start a message, I will say, Lord, help us to preach the word. Help us to understand the word. Help us to speak the word. Help us to understand the word. And above all things, uh, help us to hear the word. Help us to understand the word. And above all things, help us to what? Do the word. Because it is in the doing that you experience the fullness of the power of the word of God. Thank God for hearing. Faith comes by it. But you see, faith in itself never delivers anything until you take steps. Until you do. You can have faith and sit down in one place and nothing will change. Faith just helps you to do. It is your responsibility to always do. That is why David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that is defying the armies of the Lord? Then he said, I will today feed your body to the birds of the air. I will cut off your head. I will do those things. Then the Bible says he rushed at him. Somebody say he did it. If he sat there saying, I will do, I will do, that man will chop his head and <laughs> fry him. <laughs> He will fry him. If he just sat there and said, I will do today, I will do tomorrow, I will do, okay, <laughs> stay there. <laughs> With all your faith. The Bible says he now rushed at Goliath and shot that stone. So Jesus said, happy are you, blessed are you, if you do them. Now we have in our contemporary world today a lot of definition, uh, interpretations that have been given to this. I know churches that do feet washing uh, on the basis of this scripture. I'm not against it. It is their faith. It is their understanding. But primarily, that's not what it's about. It's good to do it, to remind people and to have understanding of what it is. I believe that. That is okay. There's nothing wrong with it. But we don't do it here specifically because that is not the main essence of it. The main essence of it is the fact that he gave an example. Please go back to verse 15. He said, for I have given you an example. So he is our perfect example of servanthood. What did you, what did he say? Go back to verse 14. He said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So it doesn't mean every day we come to church, I must get a bowl, you get your bowl. I say, brother, God's power, let's start now. <laughs> I wash you, you wash me. <laughs> or like Peter said, <laughs> just bath me. <laughs> That's not what it is. He is saying here, Go down for each other and be a blessing to each other. When you look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, the Bible talks about shodding our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. There was a time I was studying the importance of the feet and I was going from Genesis right through to the stories of Moses when he said, take off your shoes and looking at all the things that the Bible said about the feet. The feet is always regarded as something that marks God's connection to a person. 
That, that is why he told David, uh, Moses, he said, take off your shoes. I want your feet to touch the holy ground. I want your feet to connect to the holy ground. Take off your shoes. It is a powerful thing. The feet are not put there by God. And if you can understand this, it saves you from many things. He said, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So when I come to wash your feet, what it means is that I must help you to be a gospel minister. You must help me to be a gospel minister. I must help you to fulfill ministry. I must help you to fulfill the assignment of the Great Commission. That is why he stood down and did it for all of them. He was about to go. But he wanted to release them to the ministry to go propagate his name. So he washed their feet. And he showed that it is not a, a case of class. I am your Lord. I am your teacher. He said, you said it rightly, but I am washing your feet because you may call me Lord and call me teacher, which is fine. But if you are unable to do what you ought to do in the manifestation of my Lordship over your life, then I have failed. Basically, that's what he's saying to them. He said, so he washed their feet in this and he said, you go and be doing like that to yourselves. The feet is so powerful. The feet is what the Bible says he, he gives, he, he treats our feet like hind's feet. It helps us to run. It helps us to be able to run the race of our spirituality. This is why we cannot afford to be cutting each other's feet with backbiting and gossiping and malice and anger and bitterness. We cannot afford to be, to be, up, uh, to, to be usurping one another, making the ground slippery for one another. Because of our bitterness and hatred and the things that the enemy tries to sow. We must wash each other's feet by making sure. I must continue to commit myself to making sure that you serve God better. And you must continue to do the same for your brother and your sister. So anything the devil will want to introduce to make it difficult, to make it look like I'm not washing your feet and I'm rather pouring dust and sand on your feet, I must detach myself from it and go back to what the master taught us, to go down in humility. That's what the essence of taking off his robe is. Do you know that it takes humility to say you are sorry? Especially in these our arrogant times. <laughs> Everybody is right. Everybody is right. <laughs> it takes humility to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And at times, it saves you a lot of trouble. Many, many years ago, when I first moved to Warsaw in 2007, in fact, it was the first week or so. I didn't know much about the street plants. Those days, there were no apps to buy things. So we wanted, we went, we drove to Domino's somewhere in town. Uh, I don't even know whether they're still in that location. And I just parked. I didn't see that it was the, a double yellow line. And uh, I just parked there, entered there, and I was waiting for my pizza. <laughs> With my daughter, I think, or my, one of my sons, but they were very young then, and uh, I was just waiting. Then the policewoman walked in, and she looked at me and said, are you the owner of that car outside? I said, yes. She said, well, I have two choices for you. Is that I make this the most expensive pizza you've ever eaten in your life <laughs> by giving you a ticket of 140 pounds, or <laughs> you go and move your car? And I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. Thank you. Praise the Lord. I could have stood there saying, nobody marked that place. I didn't see this. I know the woman who just issued the ticket there and then. You need to know how to make sure that you are humble. What Jesus did by taking off his robe is that everything that represents this, my royalty, that represents this, my status as your Lord and Master, I'm putting it aside. 
This is why in this church, thank God, thank God for what we have in terms of administration, in terms of pastors, or in terms of leaders and church. But nobody is too big for anything. Nobody. 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 If this place is dirty and I come in, I take the vacuum, I clean it. Yesterday I came into my office, it was not looking nice. And I know the people have been working there. I could easily come out and point hand and say, somebody come here and clean. No, no, no. I say, please get me a vacuum. Sent one of the young children. I say, get me a vacuum cleaner. So when I start, when they came for it and Brashegun came, he said, no, he'll do it. I said, were you not doing something? Because I knew he was doing something somewhere else. He said, no, I can quickly do it. If not, you do it. Because in this race, there is no room for a master to be a master that is not washing the feet of others. Let us commit to washing the feet. Our feet are very important. In the year 1996, I was not yet living in this country. Some of you know this story. God said to me, I came to the country to do some course. And I was shopping at a macro store in London, somewhere in North London. Can't remember the exact place. Somewhere around Golders Green, I think it was. Many years ago, 96. It's a long time now. And uh, as I... I was listening to a Walkman. Those days we used to buy Walkman tapes for five pounds. And it was a very good gift. When you got back home and you gave those things to some people, they would love you forever, all the rest of their life. (laughs) So I was buying those things. I wanted to buy about ten. So I was listening to them one by one to make sure, because they were so cheap. They were made by... Is Alba still producing things these days? I've not seen their name. Alba. That shows you how detached I am from many things now. Alba used to produce them. And um, so I put them on and I was listening. And I, I was about to listen to the second one. The Holy Spirit said to me, now take off your shoes. I looked around. I didn't see anybody. He said, take off your shoes right where you are. I put down the workman, took off my shoes in the corner of a shop. He said, Mark on your, he said stand on your bare feet on the ground. And I stood there. He said, from today, I'm giving you this land. <laughs> I said, just like that. I was not praying. I was not fasting. I was not doing anything that you call spiritual. I was trying to buy gifts for people to take back home. But that one encounter opened the way for me in this country till today. Since I came, I didn't even know God would be bringing me back to this country four years after that to come and live here permanently, as it were. I didn't have a clue. But when I came in in 2000, I was reminded of it. And every year, I find things, unusual things happening. Unusual, unusual. Till today, unusual. So the feet is very important. I'm not saying when, everywhere you go, take off your shoes. <laughs> Please, that's not what I'm saying. Because brethren, <laughs> I possess this place right now. <laughs> but whatever he says to you about the feet, either in scripture or direct revelation, just follow it. It has an important thing. So he is our perfect example. Keep washing one another's feet because what God wants to do in our lives is to help us to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Number two, he is our great apostle of love. He is our great apostle of love. This is found in John chapter 13 as we read on from verse 34 to 38. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you do what? Love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. He said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples 
If you have love one for another, John 13, 35, by this your action, people will know that you are my disciples, not by what you are saying about, not by how you are confessing and, and, and declaring and making confession about. He said, by this, by your loving one another, people will know that you are my disciples. And then verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? (laughs) Peter wanted an answer to everything. He said, I will lay down my life for your sake. Hmm. (laughs) I thank God for Peter. Many times he says what he doesn't even know what he's talking about. (laughs) The one who wants to lay down his life for you, you say you you lay down. (laughs) But thank God for such faith and boldness and courage that we learn from that great apostle. Hallelujah. He said, I will lay down my life for your sake. But verse 38, Jesus answered him. He said, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Luke's account said, Jesus said to him, the devil is seeking to sift you as wheat. Luke 22, verse 31. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail you. He's our true apostle of love. He said, let's love one another. He is the one who laid down his life for us. And what he's commanding us to do is to love one another. The sign that the world is looking for. We are all talking about the earnest expectation of the creation. Romans 8, 19. Waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. They are not waiting for these great signs and wonders that people think they just have to create to make happen. No. That's not what they are waiting for. Whilst those miracles will continue to speak as much as God releases them, what they are waiting for is to see our love life. To see that truly these people who call themselves Christians, they don't backbite themselves in the workplace. They don't, they don't oppose themselves openly. But what they are seeing on social media is telling them different. A pastor will take another pastor and tear him. Some members will take some pastor and tear him. Some pastor will take some people and tear them. Right there for thousands and millions of people to see. It is an agenda of the devil. To make sure that the people are not seeing what Christ says they will see. He said, John 13, 35, please put it back up. He said, by this shall all men know. 35, 35. He said, by this all will know. Somebody say, all will know. Not by your speaking in tongues. Not by your acts of miracle, signs and wonders. Not by all those things, but by the love you have for one another. When they see how solidly you are built together, when they see how together you are in the things that matter in the kingdom, when they see how you work together, support each other, he said they will know. No wonder the church in Acts grew like never, like no other church in history had grown at that point in time. No wonder. No wonder thousands were added to them. They saw 120 people gathered together in one in, in, in a place and they gathered together consistently for 50 days. Nothing, no problem whatsoever. They did not hear that they had to call anybody to come and settle any quarrel in there. And yet they were praying and praying and praying. And when they came out, these people were speaking in the tongues that were representing their different languages. Then 3,000 people said, this must be correct. This must be good. I want this kind of life. 
There are many people today still looking for those signs in the church of today. They can't find it. They don't have it. They think the church should have it. There is a natural commandment that every man will look to the church. Because the church is the city set on a hill that cannot be hid. And when the people look, they get confused because what they see is not what the Bible says they will see that will make them know that truly these ones are the disciples of Christ. Every one of us must play our part to make sure that when the world looks at us, they see that we truly love one another. We must make up our minds to say, I refuse those things that the devil is spewing all over the place. I make up my mind to refuse to join anybody to cut down any other church. I make, and I know that we can talk here at times and, and laugh about some doctrines, but God is my witness. You will always hear me say, I value everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, whatever it is they believe. But the truth is, we must fight against things that are trying to stop us from loving one another. At the micro level, that is within a church, or at the macro level, that is within the church global. Within the church local and the church global. It is not about what others are doing. It is about what you are doing. Do you know that love is commanded on the first person, not on the third? Do you understand what I'm saying? Love, the commandment to love is on the first person. It's on you, not on the third. What I mean by that is there is nowhere in the Bible that he say that you should expect love from other people. Nowhere. But you are commanded to love God and love others. You know, we've taught that many times here. So you obey the commandment of love. I obey the commandment of love. What we find is that it becomes impossible. But what we have in our generation is that you hear statements like, they don't love me. Who told you that you should be expecting them to love you? You go and love. <laughs> if God was waiting for us to love him first, nobody would be saved. That's why the Bible says he loved us first. He loved us first. You go and do the same. Go and do likewise. Go and love first. And watch love overcome the hatred, the bitterness, the rejection. Watch love overcome it. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But the reality is that he did not pour out that love because he saw that people were loving him first. In fact, many people were cursing him when he gave that love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. He said, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And anyone who loves is born of God. If you love, you are born of God. No one can be born of God and yet not walk in love. Let us make up our minds. I don't love my wife because she loves me. I thank God she loves me. But I don't love her because she loves me. I love her because I'm commanded to love her. You don't know. People say, I see men, men, mature men. Say, Pastor, I'm finding it difficult to love her because she's easy. I say, you don't know what you're talking. <laughs> the one who say, love your wife, has put in everything you need to love her. Go and ask Prophet Hosea. It's Hosea is his name, isn't it? Yeah? Because we preachers, I think we need to be checking some things. <laughs> it means another name like that. Prophet Hosea, the one that married the harlot. Hosea, go and ask him. Go and ask him. Go and say, go and marry a prostitute. And brothers, please, if you're online, <laughs> I say no more. <laughs> I say no more. Don't say that's the revelation you got fresh from God. See, as that pastor was preaching, it came clear to me that, uh-uh. please, and I'm not saying God cannot say that to you, but please, 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 please. 
Just understand me. But, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. He said, go and marry a prostitute. Go and marry a harlot. He went, he did the same thing. And then that woman went all out to the point whereby they were about to sell her. That man went and used his money to buy again. Just because God wanted to illustrate how his own children were to him. And to give that man a message to his children from a personal experience. But the truth is that love is always giving. Don't seek to receive love. I've said this to you many times. The disappointment in relationships is people seeking to receive love. Now, I am not saying that you don't deserve to be loved, but don't seek to receive love. Work hard to be a love giver. Work hard to be a love maker. Work hard to be a lover. When you are lovers, you find that love will always come to you. Love will always come back. That is what God showed us. He loved us first. That is why we are all loving him today. Hallelujah. So he said, I've shown you that example that you love one another because this is what the world is looking for. Number three, he is our pathway to the Father. This is now going to John chapter 14. He's our pathway to the Father. In verse 1 to 3 in John 14, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. John 14. You believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 2, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He said, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Somebody say, he will come again. This is very important. He said, I will come again to receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Go to verse 6. He said, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This verse of scripture by itself is the total validation of Jesus as the way to the Father. Every Christian must know this. Whilst we respect everyone who would say they have ways to go to the Father, to God in their belief, we must never shy from saying these are the words of Jesus Christ, where he described himself to our world as the way, the truth, and the life. Each of those things are important. The way is how he navigates us to the Father. The truth is how he helps us to live in walking the journey to the Father. The life is benefiting from the eternal life the Father promises. The Bible says he gave his begotten son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life, eternal life. But the reality is that Jesus said he puts us in the way, he helps us with the truth, and he helps us to now enjoy that life. Many people know him as the way. But many people do not know him as the truth. The truth is God's manifestation, superimposing himself over every fact of life. The truth is what God has said, regardless of what situations and circumstances around us are saying. Jesus said, I am the way. Know me as the way, but don't stop there. You need to know me and accept me as the truth. Never see any truth of scripture and reject it because it does not sit with your natural senses. 
Never ever underestimate. This is why when that man said by this time, when Prophet Elisha said by this time tomorrow, this is what is going to happen. Food will become so cheap. That man said it is impossible. It can't be done. The truth declared does not always sit with the natural logic and thinking of man. But Jesus said, I am that way. I am that truth. You want to enjoy the life? He said, you must understand. You must come through me. Somebody say with me, he is our pathway to the Father. Verse 12, John 14. He said, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14, let's read verse 14 together. Verse 14, very quickly. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Say it again. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is why we must understand the importance of praying in the name of Jesus Again, I've emphasized this many times, but it is important for us as children of God to know that we must be a people who are asking in his name. The first thing that gives us confidence, according to 1 John 5, 14, he said we pray according to his will. Somebody say we pray according to the truth. Say we pray according to the truth. When you pray according to the truth, you pray according to his will. Because the truth is his will. Hallelujah. And then he said, if you ask in my name, he said, I will do it for you. I want us to be a people who have every faith in this name. I don't like it when Christian says, I've done everything I can do. I can only pray now. That is not a right thing to say. That is what you should do first. Pray first and then do what he says you should do. (laughs) If you go and do everything you can do, Before you pray, you will do many, many, many things that the devil will give you assignment of all kinds. (laughs) So go and pray first. Ask anything in his name. Ask that you have no wine. Then he tells you, go and pour water in the pot. Ask that you have no food. Then he tells you, feed this prophet. Feed him. Even though you have only a few measure of flour left and one jar of oil. Ask that you have nothing, that thing in his name, and then he will tell you what to do. Say, I have no wife, I have no husband, I have no child, I have no job. Lord, help me. Then he will tell you what to do. He will tell you what to do. Every time we commit our lives into his hand like that, because he is the pathway to the Father. The Father's goodwill is established for every one of us. Right from the time God was molding you in the womb, he said that he knows you and had ordained you. He had separated you for a particular purpose right from the time you were being formed. When you start to live through life, things don't always happen in that very way that it goes in a smooth way. But the more you ask in the name of Jesus, he takes your matter to the Father. And the Father, whose good will is to give you the kingdom, begins to tell you, Through the Holy Spirit, which we'll read about and talk about much more next week. Through the Holy Spirit, what you ought to do and how you ought to conduct yourself to come into the will of God for your life. Every one of us must seek Jesus as our pathway to the Father. This is the important thing about his lordship over our lives. Whatever he says for us to do, to do, we should do. 
And may God continue to cause us to experience him on a daily basis in Jesus' name. Like I told you about my experience, take off your shoes. I didn't know what he wanted to do, but as I took it off, he said, today, from today, I'm giving you this land as an inheritance. Honestly, very strange. You had, you had my story. I didn't know anything about coming here. Two years after that, I was on another flight. He said to me, I am taking you out of your home country to minister my word in a unique way. And I said, thank you. Again, very unusual things. I wasn't expecting those things to happen when he said those things. But I am finding that the more I have been hearing him, the more I am finding that the things that have made life very difficult and challenging for many, in many cases, God in his wisdom always would make easy for me. I pray that God will make that your case in Jesus' name. I pray that, that God will make that your story in Jesus' name. When I came into this country, I finished PhD in 27 months. As a matter of fact, the 24th month, my thesis was ready as a draft to be submitted. It's very unusual. It's very unusual. But because he said he made a way for me, I say he will make a way for you. I say he will make a way for you. In the name of Jesus. I was not yet finished when God opened up a job for me. God will do miraculous things in your life. In the mighty name of Jesus. 21 years later, God took me to a place now whereby I am talking with the highest authorities in another university in a role he has just given to me that I'll be starting next month by the grace of God. They sent me my schedule of the people I was going to be meeting in January. The VC, the pro-evangelist, this, pro-evangelist, that. I looked at myself. A few weeks ago, to see my dean, I have to send email to his secretary. My dean of faculty. <laughs> to have a one-to-one. This God will do wonderful things in your life. If it is the same God I'm serving, (laughs) I say if it is the same God I'm serving that I'm testifying about, you have not seen anything yet about your life. In the name of Jesus. It cost him nothing. It cost him absolutely nothing. Just stay in his will at all times. Pursue him with all of your heart and watch him do something new in your life. In the mighty name of Jesus. John chapter 14, number 4. John chapter 14, verse 25. Say with me, he is our great apostle of true peace. Say he is our great apostle of true peace. I'll start from number 1 again. He is our perfect example of servanthood. Number 2, he is our great apostle of love. Number 3, he is our pathway to the Father. Number 4, he is our great apostle of true peace. He's our great apostle of true peace. John 14, 25. He said, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. Thank you. Verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Number 27. Peace I live with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Verse 28, let's go. You have heard me say, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, 
you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Verse 27 again. Let's read verse 27 together, everybody. Verse 27. Verse 27. Please go back to verse 27. Thank you. Peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Why would Jesus be saying this? Because things will come to trouble your heart. Things will come to make you afraid. Have you noticed that whenever you are about to take a next step in your life, the devil will come and say, are you sure? (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) You've never done that before. You know that. (laughs) Don't try that. You know that. He's a liar. I say he's a liar. Jesus said, my peace, I live with you. The peace of God passes human understanding. The peace of God does not have a regard for stress and turmoil and things. That's what Jesus did in Mark 4 when he said, peace be still. And he was sleeping in the, in the stern of the boat when the people came to him, the stern of the ship, when people came to him and said, don't you care if we perish? Don't you care if we perish? He said, what has come over you? And what has made you to doubt? And he stood up and he did not say, I rebuke you, wind. He did not say, come down, wind. He just said what? Peace, be still. Because peace is in itself the force that is able to stop everything that is contrary to the will of God in your life. Anytime you find your marriage hotting up and things not working well, just say peace, be still. Anytime you find your children or certain things not happening well, your workplace, at times you get to the office or you start work and everything goes all over the place. This email, that call, this one, that report, whatever it is, just say peace, be still. He showed us, when I say he's our great apostle, I mean he's the founder, he's the initiator. The word apostle means initiator, a founder, someone who lays down doctrine. So we call the twelve the apostles, but really he is our great apostle who commissioned those apostles. Hallelujah. But the reality is that he said, my peace, I live with you. It's not the type the world gives. There are many people who are looking for peace, this peace, in many things today. Many people think if I can just have more, believe me. Many people think if I can just have a better position. Now, I'm not against those things. I believe Christians and people should aspire for higher things, but we don't aspire for things because we are looking for peace. You can have peace right where you are. You should have peace right where you are. Whether your income is 500 or 50,000, you should have peace right where you are. Because the mystery of peace is that it is not about what is physical around you. Whether that thing is adverse or whether that thing is for you. The thing about peace is that it is given by the Prince of Peace. The commander himself. That is what he gives to us as the true peace. He said, my peace, I live with you. Let not your heart be troubled. When people's hearts are troubled, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. People's hearts will be, will be all over the place. You, have you heard this? This is happening and that is happening. But you must not let your heart be troubled. Look at your neighbor for me and say, let not your heart be troubled. These are the words of Jesus. I like verses like that. Write down Matthew 6.25. Read it. He said, do not worry. Do not worry. Every time I see something around worry around me, anxiety, write down Philippians 4.6. He said, don't be anxious for anything. Don't be anxious. 
Don't be anxious. Do not worry. Let not your heart be troubled. Fear not. These are verses you should know every time. Isaiah 49, verse 10. Fear not. Fear not. For I have redeemed you and have called you. 43, verse 10. For I have redeemed you and have called you by name and you are mine. Fear not. Have peace. The Bible says he will keep in perfect peace anyone whose heart is stayed upon him. Just keep your gaze on Jesus. Hallelujah. Keep your gaze on Jesus. Keep your word in the midst of your heart and watch everything that is threatening your peace begin to vanish into thin air. I said they will vanish into thin air. In the name of Jesus Christ. When I was about 12 years ago, I I took a very bold, one of the most audacious steps I've ever taken in my life, apart from stepping up to the work of the ministry. I mean, there can't be anything riskier than that, I believe. But before that time, in the year 2006, I took a step to leave the university and go work in industry. In this country. And the industry I went to work was a one-man business. That man can say, I fire you and nobody will challenge him. But God, laid, I took my wife there. Very unusual thing. On the day of the interview, my wife and I went there. It was in Coventry. We drove there. I went into the interview and I came out. I said to her, I said, this is where God said I'm coming next. When I finished the interview, she asked me how many people work there. I said, there are, only, there are going to be three. There are two now. <laughs> there will be three when I join them. <laughs> but you know the whole irony of it? I was on work permit at that point what you currently call tier two. It didn't exist as tier whatever then. I'm very ancient now. (laughs) Those days, it was just called work permit. And what it meant is that I had one in the university. It was to be transferred to this employer. And if that man, for any reason, two months later say, I don't like your services, I've fired you. That means if I don't find another job, those days is four weeks. If I did not find another job in four weeks, I'll have to pack my family. And we had lived here seven years that time. Uh, Sorry, we had lived here five years that time. I had to pack my family back to Nigeria. Otherwise, we become illegal (laughs) illegal immigrants. (laughs) Illegal immigrants. But the reality is that because God was in it, all my friends and mentors were saying, David, are you sure? The industry is a very harsh place. It's not like academia. In academia, at times, they can overlook things. They say, industry, if you make a mistake, and blah, blah, blah. One of my mentors, who really loved me and was concerned, I said, I believe it's what God is telling me to do. And I worked in that company and another organization for three and a half years before God led me back to the university. But what I'm trying to say to you, friends, is that that was one of the best decisions I've ever taken in life. Because the three and a half years experience I gathered at that time set me on the path whereby I still practice till today as a, as a private consultant in this country. But I had peace. I had peace. Whatever he is saying to you to do, don't let the threat of the enemy and the situations that look around it surpass the peace of God that will back you up in it. And you will succeed in it. I say you will succeed in it in the name of Jesus. Friends, I don't want to bore you with my stories, but I give you these things because I am preaching what I live. I don't come and tell you stories and theories. I am telling you things I have handled by the grace of God. Paul said, those things we have heard, those things we have handled, this is what we commit to men. And by the grace of God, I know that God will do it in your life in different ways. In the mighty name of Jesus. The whole purpose of all this is so that we go to those mansions ultimately. We don't live this life because we want to acquire things here and end it here. But we must live fulfilled. Fulfill destiny. Do the great commission. 
and be empowered in different ways that God calls us to be empowered so that ultimately we go to our mansions and we also help others as many as we can to go to theirs as well in Jesus' name. Number five is that he is our true vine. We get to the second portion of our theme. He is our pathway and our true vine. This is now John chapter 15. He is our true vine. 15 verse 1. He said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes. That it may do what? Bear more fruit. Please, let's read it together. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This is very important for us to learn, friends. The Bible says, every branch that does not bear fruit. Go back to verse 1. Let's read it now. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, it takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Next month, by the grace of God, we will look at fruitfulness. I don't want to talk much about it now, but that is our theme for next month, something on fruitfulness, which I'll tell you in in a short while. But when the Bible talks about bearing fruit, there are three cardinal ways that it talks about. Number one is obviously the fruit of the Spirit. Then number two is the fruit of creation. He said, be fruitful, multiply. And then number three is the fruit, what I call the fruit of life, which is bearing fruit in terms of you reproducing yourself in giving yourself to, uh, uh, in giving yourself to assignment and doing the things that God has called you to do productively. But let us understand this. He said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. This is where we must understand that the principle of one saved forever saved is not of God. You are saved. You are a branch. God wants you to bear fruit. God wants you to remain connected to the vine. Part of the fruit he wants you to bear is the fruit of your salvation, the evidence of your salvation. When we regard it and when we disregard it and go away, he takes it away. He takes it away. He said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he prunes, he he takes away. He said, the one that is bearing fruit, he prunes. And then believers wonder why pruning at times, we we don't like it. Because it is a process whereby he is trying to get us to be more fruit bearing. So he shakes the table. Somebody say he he shakes the table. He shakes things. Makes you leave that comfort zone. Many of us, I thank God that I always hear God, I move. When I hear people say, until God took away something, I don't experience that kind of thing. (laughs) I've been hearing God tell me to go and start ministry. And I've been saying, I will go, I will go. Until one day God took away the ministry. I say, I don't want to be experiencing taking away anything. So I go before (laughs) he takes away anything. I don't stay in any comfort zone. When I left my home country to come here as a 28, 29-year-old, you would not want to live that kind of lifestyle at that age. Ah, where you have two drivers, you have two cars, you have a gardener, you have somebody who waited on you. When I wake up in the morning, I see my son, my eldest son now. They've already dressed for him and they put him in the living room waiting for me. I'll go and play with him. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, baby, baby. 
Don't mind the man. Now he looks at me and says, da, da, da. that's how we started. <laughs> and then the driver will say, sir, where, where it's time to go. I say, okay, really? Ah, really? I say, when is the flight? They'll say, it's, it's in an hour and a half. And we had just one hour to get to the airport. I said, let's go. All my bags, everything packed. I walk in. They opened the door for me. 28-year-old. <laughs> I told my wife, I said, this life is not real. <laughs> we are too young for this. <laughs> Hallelujah. God said, leave all of that and go and minister my word in a unique way. I came here, started as a, as, as a, as a, a research student. I go to Royal Mail and do part-time work. One night, after teaching in the morning, doing research in the morning, teaching in the afternoon, I went to do coding at night. My eye was like that. <laughs> my letters were not going in time. The supervisor came. He said, my friend, you are sleeping. <laughs> I say, I'm not, I'm not, he said, your computer is showing that you are sleeping. <laughs> he said, I will sack you. I said, please don't sack me. I need this job. <laughs> I need this job. I have a family to feed. Don't sack me. For the sake of this gospel. <laughs> what are you telling me? For the sake of this gospel. Go and teach some children like that. X is equal to Y plus. He said, where is the Y? You show me the Y. <laughs> where is the Y you are talking about? <laughs> Just because I need 10 pounds an hour, 10 pounds an hour. <laughs> I have stories. I will not bore you. I have stories. I have stories. <laughs> Number six. <laughs> Number six, which we'll close on. He is our great apostle of joy. He's our great apostle of love. He's our great apostle of peace. But he's also our great apostle of joy and true friendship. This is what he said in John 15, verse 10. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandment and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I have spoken it into you so that my joy may remain in you and that your joy, not your happiness, may be full. The joy of the Lord, the Bible says, is our strength. Nehemiah 8.10 The joy of the Lord is our strength. Don't look for the happiness of this world to gain strength. Look for the joy of the Lord. He has said it, you look for it. I have spoken these words to you. He said that my joy may remain in you. Look for what he has spoken. Look for what he has said. When you find it, your joy will always be full. When you find it for your personal life, your joy will be full. When you find it for your marriage, your joy will be full. When you find it for your children, your job, everything that makes you live in this life, your joy will be full. Rise to your feet and let's pray.